0: Uh, do a lot of drugs buy a motorcycle (laughs) never ridden a motorcycle before but might as well just buy one you might want to clear that with your wife yeah that'll be a surprise
1: We're going to talk about the latest new Marvel movie, The Eternals, from acclaimed director... Oh, no
0: no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not. We're going to talk about a comic we've been saying we'll talk about for months, and that comic is Dementia 21.
1: Uh, okay, I, I guess that's fine. Uh, You want to introduce it, Ryan? I mean, I've been introducing it for the past couple of episodes. Oh, uh, Ryan, I'm old. I, I forget things a lot. That's, actually, that's totally appropriate. Who are you? Where am I? What's going on? <laughs> Well, Ruman,
0: you are Roman Segal, you are on Quarantine Comics, and uh, we're about to talk about Dementia 21, which was originally published in the online ma- manga magazine Comic Cloud between t- 2010
1: and 2013. Can someone take me to the bathroom? Just sit in it for a little bit. It'll keep you warm. <laughs> I'm all so right. sorry to everybody. Ryan made me say all of that.
0: Anyway. Dementia 21, originally published in the online manga magazine Comic Cloud between 2010 and 2013, is a surreal collection of short, loosely interlinked adventures following Yuki Sakai, a plucky young aide to elderly clients. It's written by Shintaro Kago, who comes from a school of manga that revels in the erotic and the grotesque. His other titles include, for instance, Is It Possible for a Collision on the Way to School to Result in a Kiss, an Experiment, and Black Theater. Grandma smells like a corpse. <laughs> you made that one up. I didn't make that up. Anyway, naturally, Dementia 21 is pretty nuts. Pretty darn tootin'
1: nuts. I'm Ruman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who have nothing but respect for the elderly, though after reading this, I wonder if it's a respect born out of fear or malarkey. So Ruman, I'm really curious
0: what you learned about yourself when you finally finished the last comic in this two volume series.
1: Look, this was fucking weird, man. Uh, But. (laughs) Okay. But, no, no, okay, okay. Um, At first, it was just a weird fucking sitcom, right? Episodic, weird shit with a little bit of sci-fi. But after, you know, the shtick, you got used to the shtick of every few issues, Our, our protagonists kind of confronting not just the elderly, but kind of what's going on with society and their perception of the elderly. It's a pretty scathing commentary on modern, developed societies' kind of perspective of the elderly, full stop. And so was the creator being kind of cruel in their depiction? Were they playing up lots of tropes? Probably. But I think when those things make you chuckle, you realize what an asshole you are. And it it just shows like we as a society, I mean, there's a saying like you can tell something about the measure of a society is how they treat their young and their old. Right, and that's uh, pretty fucking damning. I guess is what I would say. This book was.
0: Yeah, I'm actually curious. Let's just jump right into that because the depiction of the elderly, it gets it. It becomes there's definitely like an alien quality to the way he he shows them. I mean, they almost don't seem human. In fact, there's one comic. There's in one the, uh, in the far future at the time of Dune. Exactly where she where she's like, yes, there are these creatures called elderly that ro- you know that roamed the world. Um. So you know there is there is all this 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 almost treatment of the elderly in these comics as if they're not not fully human or they're not they're not quite no longer human. No someone longer could say they're no longer human, and so I'm just curious what how you process that because on the one hand you can kind of see that as sort of a scathing commentary on the way the elderly are viewed by by society by many people in society. On the other hand, you're almost complicit in that as well because you're kind of laughing along as you see these kind of hordes of elderly kind of act like like zombies so it creates this very interesting tension where it's funny but also you're not sure if you're supposed to be laughing about it
1: yeah i mean the elderly are portrayed not as characters but a caricature yeah, um, of this like broad disembodiment of our society. And I mean, there's really only one character and uh, the, the main protagonist, the home health aide, Yuki Sakai. And while every chapter or episode has other characters, other young people, right? Other parents, etc. cetera. You know, it's a good thing this was in a manga magazine and not a regular comic. Because like for me, I wouldn't have read this if it wasn't for quarantine comics, right? But if I were picking this up at the stands as a comic issue every month, you're an asshole <laughs> like, just straight up like because you, you are you become even more complicit huh. and it's it, he's he's making a statement i think he is i hope he is but at the same time it's kind of sometimes felt like art going a little too far like i get yeah. it that there's a more subtle way to kind of make these points with art with story and i don't think he likes old people and it, it's hard to understand there's some interviews in the first volume with the creator and then there's an afterword in the the end of the second volume where they try to talk about the creator but he's cryptic on purpose he's like you need to be able to separate the artist from the art i'm like yeah no dude that you came up with this shit like i'm not saying you hold these points of view but you dreamed this shit up and it's perverse and it's wacky and it's weird and sometimes it is funny and sometimes it does make you think i don't know I think it's definitely possible
0: to have two points of view. I mean, we've all heard, you know, when you see like an old person driving erratically on the road, you're like, get off the damn road, man. You're too old to be on it. At the same time, you can be sympathetic to what they're going through, which is, you know, their bodies, their memories, their minds, not acting, you know, not not responding the way it did when they were young. And that's that's horrifying, isn't it? Like you kind of start to lose yourself. You lose your memories. It's coming for us a all. Part of it's coming identity. for us all. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of... You know, I, you know, I definitely, you know, kind of juggle both feelings on my day-to-day, the feelings of sympathy and, you know, acknowledgement that that's going to be me one day, but also just incredible irritation. Well, it's going to be your parents. It's going to be your yeah. parents, too. And, and you know, and and I think that's, that's actually, you know, he's not telling you how to think. And I think he's, you know, in, in, in kind of portraying the elderly in the way he does, which, as you mentioned they are often they're highly, highly caricatured. He's he's kind of doing both. You know, you especially since the main character's job is to is to try to help them. At the same time, you know, you have like people who, you know, you have one woman who just berates everybody, and that's actually her kind of almost like to to a point where it's like a superpower where she berates everybody so much they, they just kind of like go insane. Or well, you have I think, the woman you know, with the wrinkles.
1: And I think it's it's not it's not a character of all of the elderly. There are caricatures of certain elderly kind of um, tropes or um, archetype archetypes. Right. And what's frustrating about this was going to sound weird, but no, it's there was no nice portrayal of the elderly. Cause I'll kind of like starch my hat a little bit. Like when I used to backpack around the world and travel and be like, say on a ferry from Argentina to Uruguay, I choose to sit next to the old guy and have a conversation with him because his story of how he got on this ferry is probably way more interesting than mine. I have a podcast where a majority, probably 60, 70% of my guests are older executives from business. And I'm asking them about work and life. It's mentorship style. So I have, I don't want to say a reverence, but I think we can learn a lot. And what I don't, I'm getting a little on a high horse, but like I would have, again, I know this is like a, a cartoony. It's a manga. It's supposed to be entertaining. These are like extreme characters. But at no point did any elderly person have agency. And maybe that wasn't the point of this comic. But at no point do, I mean, minus like maybe Steve Rogers and even Aunt May in Ultimate Spider-Man, do older characters have agency. They continue to be portrayed as the people who can't drive, the people who are wrinkled, the mean old mother-in-law. And um, that shtick got old. But the only saving grace of this book is when he de- when he decided to go like full on fucking sci-fi. Like I think in the third issue, there's I mean there's a lot of like Japanese monster horror in this, and that was kind of cool. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Yeah, I was, I was troubled by this too. Book yeah, on a lot yeah,
0: of yeah. I was thinking about that too. So, so like, but there aren't, you know, there aren't any elderly who are kind of portrayed sympathetically but on the other hand there's nobody in this comic who's portrayed sympathetically except yeah, because the, 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 you the young adults are all assholes That's the right. young adults are all assholes so it's sort of like kind of spread th- it's, this is just not a book where you're gonna get you know the life lesson from, or you're gonna kind of get the, re- the 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 redemption or the emotional arc. That's not what he's trying to do. I mean, as as I kind of said in the introduction, he comes from the school of manga that really revels in the erotic and the grotesque. And Dementia Twenty One definitely revels in the in their grotesque and occasionally the erotic, but usually 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 not. Thankfully.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I you know that's actually pretty interesting. I thought. You know, you read the first couple of, of issues or episodes and, you know, you've got plucky young Yuki Sakai, this home health aide. I was like, oh, my God, Japanese stereotypes. What are you going to do with this young Japanese nurse? And they very quickly choose to desexualize her very quickly to be like, she's not. An, if anything, they make fun of her at the, at the beginning of the the arc and at the very end when it gets mm. meta and they try to wrap up with the plot. And they're like the manga artist himself becomes a character and they break the fourth wall. And he's like, ah. Maybe I need to give her bigger eyes, give her funnier expressions, you know, make her more busty, et cetera. Um, so I kind of appreciated that because she kind of became and and her story, Groundhog Day style, resets every single issue. Very rarely do they try to tie all the threads together because these are fantastic, horrifying things that no one could survive. And <laughs> so she's just kind of like this constant person. She's the eyes through which you see these stories. She's probably not all the time, but Nine times out of ten, she's the only one doing the right thing, or 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 rationally observing an irrational and a crazy situation. Just want to say, towards at the
0: very end, she definitely is not doing the right thing. But they kind of they kind
1: of built a fair point, fair, point. fair um, point.
0: But you're right, yeah, yeah. She there there is a lot of you know kind of subversion of expectation throughout, and that's actually what I really liked about this. Not just you know when you first see the home, the the cute home. You know, home aid. You know, you kind of have a certain expectation of you know that she's going to be highly sexualized, and in fact, he's very conscientious about subverting those expectations. And sometimes, and when he does lean into it, it's it's still not very it, you know he's it's still not very sexual, even when she's like she. There's that one scene where she has like like the cat's ears and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still kind of drawn in a way that's almost very kind of very frank, I would say. But even on a, what I really liked about this, you know, kind of putting aside all the the anxieties that we just sort of talked about is how surprising I feel everything was. Nothing ever went the way I expected it to go. (laughs) True. Ever. And that was like a real delight. So,
1: you know, you didn't expect all the old people to combine into a mass monster to start marching on the, on the children. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. You know what, though? What I also like about this is that even though it kind of like... There are these nods to genres that are much more familiar, like Voltron, or you kind of have like the Power Rangers sort of creature, except he's really, really old. There's sort of like the Japanese horror... You know, one of the first comics, you have that old woman with her feet behind her back kind of like running. It's That feels sort of like something out of the ring. So you kind of see this mashup of all of these different genres that... You know, might that that you know that feel like very familiar to, to Japanese pop culture, but they're used in a way that is very, very like true to she's the ethos of Dementia Twenty One, but also uh, very, very surprising as well. They often come up in like ways you don't, you never expect it to come up, like like the the old people merging into a giant Voltron type creature.
1: I, I think first. I think you got your references completely wrong. It's not a giant Voltron type creature. That's a, there's another term for whatever that thing is, and it wasn't Power Rangers, dude. It was totally Ultraman. But <laughs> what, um, was,
0: what was the what was what's the Voltron type creature? What was uh, the term?
1: I I don't know. I don't know what you would call it, but Voltron is basically like five independent things becoming a thing. This was a, a mass of bodies congealing into a giant creature, kind of like a thing made of bees or a thing made of bugs.
0: For what it kind of reminded me of Voltron, though, just the way they all kind of like came together, you know, and into this. That's because you don't really like Voltron. You don't get Voltron like I get Voltron, man. Well, wait, t- explain <laughs> Voltron. Give me the give me the Voltron pitch. No, in, like, Vol- Vol- five Vol- Voltron.
1: Voltron is five things that come together. The whole is greater than some of its parts. This was a monster, and it, also it wasn't five I, things. It, it was it was like a thousand. It was a swarm of things. So it was more. So the, so the difference between more
0: Voltron more. and elderly monster is just sort of like the number
1: yeah, they're but definitely I
0: mean, they definitely come together and they're more than the sum of their parts. What if we spend the whole episode talking about whether that whether the
1: old people <laughs> coming together and in, into a giant monster is the same as Voltron? All of our old fans will rise up against us like a non-voltron bee swarm creature. But I actually have a serious question. Do you think so I mean, I think you know that Japan is kind of a canary in the coal mine for um our aging population in the developed world, right? So they do have this inverted population pyramid, right? There are more old it's kind of the aging boomer right. population we have in our country and so i think there's kind of two things that but my question is do you think this this book could have happened anywhere else in the world and i i think the answer is no for two reasons one manga manga be fucking crazy like you can go tell weird ass stories like this that i don't think the american comic book market the western comic book market isn't fully there yet it's getting there faster and faster but manga like breaks genres molds genres etc so one japan japanese comics are weird but two it's much more present in Japan, where you have like a finite amount of resources, a fixed amount of land, and you have this population bomb exploding. You have more old people than young people. So, how do you support a society? So, the sentiment is there. I think, I don't think it's here yet in America. I think we can choose not to see it, we can choose to ignore it until it's right up on us in our own lives with our own parents. But so I don't. I don't think this book could have been written in America for a lot of reasons. And well, That's why I don't think it'll catch on here. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I don't. You know, I think. I think for one thing, like when when Americans write comics, they tend to try to moralize, or they. I'm grossly, grossly, grossly generalizing here, but generally, like if you know if you're gonna if you're gonna write a book about like the condition of the elderly, you're gonna you, you're gonna try to. Make sure you're gonna write fun, you're gonna write play. fun home, you're gonna write
1: fun home, right? Yeah, or
0: so it's gonna be really didactic or something like that, right? Mm. And this, you know, this is this is definitely like a very unusual sensibility, Again, you know, really
1: quick. There's a book I would love to juxtapose this against, and it's a uh, Displacement by Lucy Knisley, where it's a story of the author taking her elderly grandparents on a cruise, that's all it is. And it's a to your point, it's a very that's the American way of kind of telling these stories and making these points, I think.
0: Yeah. It, it you know, it's, it's, it's a more conventional drama and here he's just like, there's just no, he, re, I mean, he'll, he'll it's a manga you, cartoon. Yeah. He'll give you the overtures of a conventional drama, but then he will take it away. He, he's really kind of just interested in like kind of seeing these aspects of growing old, whether it's wrinkles or dentures and then just twisting it in a way that feels very alien and strange. And, because of that it's, it's actually very, very exhilarating. So there's that and then there's also the particulars of what some of the elderly are going through like the, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of choking on rice cake, you know that's mochi, mochi. Most on mochi, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that's quite a thing here. He, I don't know if there's an epidemic of elderly choking on mochi in in Japan, but you know, that's not quite obviously a thing here. There's the abuse of the of the daughter-in-law, and obviously there. That happens here, but I, I kind of wonder—it's such a trope in Dementia Twenty-One. If it's so much more prevalent and such a much greater,
1: there's a much greater uh,
0: awareness of that.
1: There, there's some commentary that that exists in Asian society, like the role of the daughter-in-law, and mm, you know, yeah. what in a lot of Asian cultures. This is a broad generalization. And it's less and less to its degree, but when a woman is married, she enters the husband's family, right? And you have multi-generational homes, which you don't have as much of in this country. So, you know, daughter-in-law abuse is an actual thing. I would imagine mochi choking is also a thing, though, right? But, you know, yeah. one of one of one of my favorite episodes, actually, and th- th- that demonstrates what he's willing to do is he comes up with like a, a kernel of an idea or a thought experiment that makes some commentary on some truth, stand up comedy style. And then he just takes it not to the next degree or the next degree or the next degree, but like he goes 10 degrees in. So the one story that really comes to mind is the one about elderly shoplifting. Holy shit. I yeah. was just thinking about that one. Yeah. Well, it's because I'm old and I can read your mind, Ryan. Uh but yeah, I mean, t- talk to us about. Tell me what you thought about that one, because I mean, that one just really floored me on so many levels.
0: For me, it was just the the direction that went in, and you know, I'm not referring to the neck snapping, you know, because <laughs> it starts out as this as this sort of thing about you know the elderly elderly who are shoplifting.
1: And maybe they should be
0: treated. Yeah. And maybe maybe they should be treated with compassion and, you know, we should think about why they're actually doing that. But then it just goes to this absurdist level where the the, the police literally have these devices that whenever an elderly commits a crime, it forces their head to look another way. But the elderly are trying to commit a crime because they are lonely or they don't, they, they just want to, they want shelter and they can get that in jail. And so then it just goes even more insane, where they try to commit a crime in front of the cops, but the machine keeps jerking the cops' head around, and then suddenly like it's there's epidemic of like people having their neck snap by the elderly trying to commit. And so it just it just keeps like it kind of makes this overture towards hey we're gonna we're gonna like say something, and then it just goes into a completely weird ass direction that almost sort of defies logic and defies any sort of attempt at making a a statement about the situation, about the social situation that led to this, which I frankly kind of admire because honestly, that was way more interesting than
1: than you know what than something that would have been more conventional. Well again, if there's one moral thread to this whole book, that's it. And it's why try to solve the actual root cause of the problem when we can try to innovate our way out of a solution that causes us not to have to make hard choices. And you can say the same thing about Masks or vaccines or exercise and people's refusal to to just kind of do the one thing you're supposed to do: wash your hands, you know, distance. And it's hard to get on like a it's called quarantine comics. So fuck it, I'm gonna get on a pandemic soapbox. But it's like, and even when the 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 clear solution presents itself, a miracle of science, we choose not to do that. And that's I feel like almost every other story talks to that. They present a problem of something. In some cases, it's just let's make old people weird aliens, but let's present a problem. And let's let's not really examine the problem, let's let's really dig in and just show the ludicrous ex, the ludicrous distance that we will run to to ignore mm. the problem and solve our way around make up completely different problems.
0: That's interesting. I I, I did not have that interpretation of that comment. I can see it now,
1: but um, it's interesting. I, I'm the, just angry. The... I'm just angry at our society right now, Ryan. <laughs> And this, and this book, like, just justified all of my anger.
0: <laughs> yeah, what do you think about that? The comic where they, where that takes place in the future, and Yuki Sakai is kind of going around and like, like an anthropologist, she's discovered these creatures called the, the elderly, because that one was, you know, at, 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 on the one hand, you're kind of igno- it, it's it's kind of acknowledging how the elderly are kind of viewed by by society as sort of these creatures who are like almost like both very needy but also a threat in their demands and in the resources that you know that we devote to them but at the same time it's definitely you know making making fun of them in a way it's it's sort of like that one kind of encapsulates i think the tension that we talked about at the beginning of this of this podcast where it's sort of like are we are we complicit in
1: in making fun of them? I I wonder about that with Kago. If he, I think he has a disdain for the elderly. I'm not gonna lie. Like I think he has one, and he's. But I think he's calling us all out for having it, and he's like, "Yeah, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be the one who fucking explores what is my disdain. What do we do about this? You're all just as guilty and complicit as me because you're laughing, motherfucker. Like I, I, it's. Uh, he also has a disdain for how we feel about the elderly, if that makes sense. So he's playing both sides of the coin. I I, I
0: guess, yeah, I guess that's probably true. You're kind of having both feelings at the same time. I want to talk about
1: the art. Oh, go ahead, please.
0: No, I was just going to ask you about Santa.
1: (laughs) I loved... (laughs) I loved when magical realism came in. There's the story about like as the woman like lost her memory, people disappeared or as she remembered things they appeared with Santa. Yeah. He, like the Santa that is the Santa is like was such a hilarious episode that shows him taking it to the next degree and the next degree and the next degree. There's a full-out gang war. <laughs> like I yeah, I laughed out loud at the Santa episode because it just went places I I did not expect it to. And they're like the the gang basically these I don't even remember what this like Santa's demented. He's giving the wrong presents or something. But somewhere along the way, out of left field, they decide to introduce these two gangsters who need yeah. weapons to win a gang war. So they decide to wish for rocket launchers from Santa, and then Santa gives it to them because he's trying to get his do his job well again. And then the other gang, and it's basically like an escalating gang war, which has nothing to do with anything about old people or anything <laughs> other than Santa's old. I guess
0: that's great. And then then you're forgetting, like, right before the gang war, he rapes somebody. Oh, jeez. I had actually forgotten about it because that was the one disappointing part of that story. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that one because it was mostly sort of hilarious. But then you have this moment of, like, Santa rape. And I'm like, "Hmm." did he go too far there?
1: I don't know because it's like... I feel like he's way I I didn't need to see that it actually is if if there are a couple things you could edit out that would have been one of them but he's so far over the edge all over the place you're already by the time you get to the second issue of this like you know it's eventually going to happen like I'm sorry you're letting the madman do whatever he wants with this you kind of
0: yeah you just have to roll with it right this isn't this isn't like a comic that's going to be curated to your taste he's going to take you to some, uh, some weird places and you might be offended, you might be horrified. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing, right? Not knowing how to react, I think, is sort of like the the common fe- emotional thing you're gonna experience as you go through Dementia Twenty One. There's always gonna be that. Should I should I be laughing? Because I don't think this is this is like a little bit crude. But on the other hand, it it's kind of fucking funny. Well,
1: my 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 counter argument is by depicting that with santa like are you normalizing and saying it's okay and whatever your answer to that question is it's but you could ask that exact same question about every other fucking horrible thing he puts in this book right
0: right i mean exactly it's a straight-up cartoon i mean is he normalizing that any more than he's normalizing suicide or murder which is sort of like there's a right afterwards there's a shot of a girl who says i want to die and then said to. Or a noose, and the guy says, "I want these. I want to kill these bullies." And Santa gives him a knife. So it's it's all kind of in that same sort of absurdist level. And I think, in a way, it, it kind of operates. I don't want to say it operates beyond offense. It's you know, it's it's just that I guess the offense happens so quickly, and then it's done. It doesn't let you linger on it. That you just kind of by the time you know you're offended, you're kind of pulled on, pulled to over to the to the next thing. That's kind of weird and ridiculous so in a way it's sort of like it does the the offense doesn't doesn't even register until you kind of go back to it and think about it and then even then it's still sort of like well you know within the context how do you how do you take this
1: hmm yeah (laughs) <laughs> like yeah ruined the santa yeah. story for me thanks for bringing it back up right
0: <laughs> yeah you're, well yeah i think we devoted, devoted most of this this episode to the santa
1: situation and as well as like the the voltron I mean, argument we, we
0: got very distracted by these little
1: tangents but but i mean but that's what this this entire book is one distraction like yeah. it, it propels you from one story to the next it gets more ridiculous and more ridiculous and then they reset groundhog bay style and it's uh it's yuki's next adventure i did like i don't i I had mixed feelings like i wasn't actually sure if i was going to finish reading it when i started it because i was like okay the shtick it's happening over and over again it's just a new weird Mm -hmm. story every time and so by the time i got to the second volume and i kind of saw the pattern happening again i was like do i need to finish this do i actually like will i've gained or lost anything but uh, the latter half of the latter book really tries to put a narrative bow on yuki's character and that was interesting because i think I think kago wanted this to be done he didn't want this to be ever oh, yeah. he didn't want to have to do this over and over and over again I think I think he was done with it you can kind of tell when a guy's just like
0: you know I mean the ending is just so abrupt <laughs> and it's just like you can tell he's just like and then this happened and that's like literally it there's no real again this is sort of a book that sort of defies plot even though the last three or four strips comics are a little bit more plot driven than the others you know it does it doesn't have the conventional arcs the conventional emotional or narrative arcs that you would that you would expect of course so when it when it ends it's almost sort of surprising because there's no build-up to the ending it just literally just like ends
1: yeah absolutely and so i do want to shift gears to the art because manga styles are varied for sure and different artists and creators have different strengths but there is what I find really interesting, the more manga I read, more, more so because of this podcast, and we're not reading like Shonen Jump stuff, we're, we're all over the place, right? But I find that there's like certain tropes in Japanese art of how we draw people, or how we draw cars, or how we do panel design, like, and it's interesting, because in American comics, and we'll stick with superhero comics, for the most part, I find more diversity and to be clear, Kago is an amazing artist and form and function and sequential art are his strengths in the cover designs are amazing. They were, they jump off the page They're It's great. But it, there's like a common style to how people are drawn, how things are drawn. So did the, the art, did art
0: work for you or did it, did it not work for it, you? It did. did
1: you... No, it did. It, it, it totally did. It's just, there's a consistency in manga. That's, that's what the word I'm looking for. There's just like this consistency. No matter whether it's aliens or body horror or torturing old people <laughs> or Antarctic exploration or, or weird aliens from another universe, manga's consistent, man. It's, it's really weird. You mean just, just the, a common aesthetic that
0: goes across all of the.
1: Every genre, the every genre, every genre. And we've read a lot now. I mean, with the exception of actually, there's probably two aesthetics there's like kitty manga style, and then there's like adult manga style. And so when I say kitty manga, I'm thinking about like some of the work of Osamu Tezuka, even to a degree, no. Azumi. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, Yoshuri Tatsumi, even. So, but it is, there's kind of just like two dominant styles. You don't see a lot of variation from them. Maybe I haven't read enough. Somebody once
0: described to me, like, like the difference between like an American or a Western drawn comic versus a manga comic is that like, if you have Superman jumping over a building, the the American drawn comic would just kind of show Superman jumping over the building with the manga, they'll you'll kind of like, see the tension in his muscles, you'll you'll kind of have these like, super close ups as he kind of sleeps. So the thing there is that instead of showing you Superman jumping over the building, they're trying to convey what it feels like to be Superman jumping over that building. Hmm. I I don't know if that holds true across all all manga. Let's just say, but I, some of my favorites, like Blade of the Immortal, for instance, it definitely kind of has that sort of you are in the thick of the action, you are participating in the sword fight
1: more than you're watching the sword fight. Hmm. That yeah yeah, there, there's definitely a much more kind of immersive nature to it for sure. But but from a style perspective, so that's kind of like pacing and design, but from a style perspective, like, well, let's talk about Superman. Yes, they all just kind of show Superman jumping over the building, but Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, and Mike McNola are all going to show Superman jumping over that building in wildly different ways. And, and not, not even wildly different ways. It's just going to look Todd McFarlane's going to draw Spider-Man very different from mark bagley right and Mm. i don't and maybe maybe this is this could be my unsophisticated eye it all looks same right like maybe i I can't see the differences enough because i'm not i'm not immersed in it to see the differences
0: the hp lovecraft comic we read uh, a few weeks ago there are definitely commonalities between that and what uh, kago's doing with dementia 21 but there's also a lot of a lot of differences as well in terms of the polish of the artwork, in terms of the epic, you know, he's, you know what the, I feel like manga more than any other genre is much more cinematic. And maybe that kind of goes back to like, you know, you feel like you're in the thick of the action. That's what cinema tries to do. It puts you in the thick of Mm. the action. Mm. Uh, Manga tends to be very, very cinematic. I mean, that was definitely the case of at the mountains of madness. And we actually do see that with, with dementia 21, with the way, you know, some of the shots, of, of of yuki the the sort of how visceral some of the the i'm thinking of like when when the dentures are coming out of the elderly's mouth <laughs> for instance like something out of alien it's it's you're it feels like you are actually there just the way it's the way that the, it's angled
1: the way it's illustrated there's, but but there's to me there's a common sensibility that man yeah. can achieve that yeah
0: yeah, I th- I think that that might that might be it. And again, you know, there are similar tropes, uh, the the girls with the the big eyes, you know, motion, so lines, the, motion lines,
1: motion lines,
0: <laughs> motion lines, all of that sort of stuff. And maybe that's just the case of it being such a big big industry, you know, in yeah, in Japan. Yeah, exactly. More, so, you have these manga factories, so and people come from that. Versus, you know, in America,
1: uh, in com- comic books know, are a very niche thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's 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 always been like a whole bunch of different styles that have kind of emerged from Betty Boop, who I mean, she inspired a lot of the the manga the manga aesthetic. Don't quote me on that. I think so. Um and then you have kind of the EC comics, you know, they kinda of had a certain a certain look. You know, and then you had like the, the Fleischer Superman stuff, which had a certain look. So you've had you have like a whole bunch of different innovations in terms of style, in terms of aesthetics that, you know, maybe you didn't quite get from you know from from the manga factories in Japan, but at the same time they contributed so much
1: to the 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 medium of of sequential storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Would you recommend this to an oh, old yeah. person? Oh to, to an old person? person?
0: <laughs> uh I don't know what the hell I'd recommend to an old person. I don't think I'm um you know I no, I wouldn't. I mean it kind of depends how adventurous they are. I, I probably wouldn't I actually really loved Dementia 21. I loved like how I told you before that I like comics, movies that you know, that put me in the head of somebody else where I'm like, okay, this is how you experience the world. This is your dream. And I I find that so much more effective and affecting than, you know, if somebody's just trying to tell me like a superhero story. So I was exhilarated throughout all of dementia 21 i was it was exhilarating i was uncomfortable i was laughing i i loved it but i also know that a lot of people probably would be completely alienated by it or offended by it they'll they'd be irritated that they're not you know that 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 there isn't really a, a strong moral character or a strong character really in throughout throughout this comic so I guess I'd be hard pressed to recommend it to somebody without understanding like what they look for when they, when they
1: pick up something to consume. How about you? I don't think I would. Um, I think you. Re- I think you need to embrace manga and understand what you're getting into. I'm glad I read it. Like as with all of the things, I would not have picked this up. If it weren't for this podcast, right? The my local library now owns these books because they bought it because I asked them for it, and I hope they don't curse me when a little kid picks this up by accident. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I put a warning label on it, not just for the obvious reasons. You know, my sister's a geriatrician, and she would punch me if she if she knew I read this. <laughs> like, and so, like, how would your sister react if she were to read it? Not well. I mean, but, but it's again, it's someone who doesn't read a lot of comics, first of all, right? The medium of comics means something very different. I'm sure she knows comics exist beyond superheroes. She has kids and their uncle buys some comics that aren't about superheroes, a lot of first second press stuff, fantasy stuff, but <clears throat> not well, not well, because not only is it you know, borderline obscene and perverse and really trying to shock you into a perverse reaction. It, it's it's hard to tease out the message when you're kind of reading the shock jockey nature of it. And so I to that end, I think a lot of people who aren't, you know, manga readers who aren't, don't read all the other weird comics that we've read on this podcast, right? Like if, if you're not, if you're not already kind of primed for that, I think you're not going to receive this very well.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably fair. But that being said, I fucking loved it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course he did. Why am I not surprised?
0: Well, that does bring me to my next question, Roman, which is what are we going to read next week?
1: Well, next week, Ryan, now that the pandemic's over, I'm not sure if you heard, there's another Marvel movie in theaters. And that Marvel movie is called The Eternals by Oscar-winning director Chloe Zhao And featuring an all-star cast of pretty cool people like Angelina Jolie, Gemma Chan, Kit Harrington, and Kumil Nanjiani. And uh, fun fact, it was actually based on some comics that Jack Kirby created way back when. And we are not going to be reading those Jack Kirby comics, but we are going to be reading the reboot of The Eternals from 2000 and i'm looking at the day 2008 by sandman writer neil gaiman gaiman and illustrated by john ramada jr so we're going to be reading neil gaiman's eternals we're going to go watch the eternals i bet that's going to be very different from
0: dementia 21 but i'm all for it it's
1: because i bring the normal shit to this podcast you bring the weird shit man